0: Amen. Come on, let's thank our worship team today. Thank you, Donna and the team. So good today. Well, good morning. Let's also thank all our volunteers who helped make this happen today. Come so early and set up. Come on, let's show our appreciation to all those who come serve. Also, for those who give financially into our church, come on, let's thank God for all of you who, who give financially to our church. Because without all of us together, we couldn't actually make our church, our gathering at least, happen in our lives. Okay, just a quick, Phil, can you turn that off? It's a bit like an aeroplane, that. Can you hear that? Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Okay, how many was here last week? Say amen. Amen. Okay, how many was um, actually been putting that into practice last week? in their lives and felt freedom, even though it may have been difficult in your life. You know, when obedience to God's, word, as God, to God's Word is not always easy, but it's afterwards when you actually align yourself or you submit your life to Him that you know how freedom comes in your life and how much is important for you to respond to the Holy Spirit in your life. So last week we talked about the condition of the soul. This is the last message today on the soil. We're going to continue our theme next week and the week after on connect. But this is really connecting with God through his word. And it's really important, the foundation of our soul, as we've mentioned last week, that when the sower sows the word or when we share the gospel with people, you know, it can land on, on all kinds of uh, hearts. And Jesus explains there's four kinds of hearts. There's a the path, which is a hard heart. Then there is a rocky place where people have had, like, troubles and persecution and, and somehow the, the word is sort of lost. It's, it's accepted, but then lost. And then there is the thorns, which we're going to talk about today. But I do also want to say to us that, you know, what is not mentioned in this passage is how we sow the word. You know, you, you can uh, preach the truth, but how you preach it can actually um, not be effective in those that is hearing. What I mean by that is that you, if you have no compassion, if you are not preaching for the benefit of other people... Now someone said once that before Jesus whipped the people out of the temple, He wept over them. And so when we're actually sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, let me Jesus Christ. let me tell you, it is actually good news. And sometimes if we're going to communicate about a God that's always after them and people's going to be burned in hell, I, mean, I want to tell you something. Sometimes that kind of communication can actually be a problem to the hearer. So, we don't compromise the truth. In fact, Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And the first reason was so he could have a relationship with me and you. He didn't come so you could just go to to heaven and bypass the lost eternity, because he came for a relationship with me and you. And so, the heart of the gospel is that Christ came down to earth. So he could connect with us, forgive us of our sins so we could get back connected and walk with God, not only for now, but for eternity. And so it's really important that when you're sharing your faith, that number one, you don't look down on people. Even if they don't agree with your message, even if they don't agree with your religion, we've always got to be courteous and gracious, uh, but be truthful. But we, we do not want to antagonize people for the sake of it. Uh, and so it's really important how you communicate with people, whether they'll receive you or not. And so even when we're preaching, uh, sharing the message, sometimes we have difficult things that we need to share with you. And so all the time I'm trying to pray and ask God, how can I deliver this message without coming across being condemned, being, feeling condemned with people? Because sometimes you have to communicate the truth but you need wisdom of how to communicate it. But the thing is, if you know somebody is giving you a message because they really care about you, you're more open to receive the message, amen? And so you know when you go into a doctor's surgery, they're not going to give you a report because they don't like you. They're giving you a report on the facts to make you better with your health, amen? And so anytime that we are there sharing our faith and our family and our friends and our workplaces, Make sure that you go in with a heart of compassion for people because your message then will come out with actually because you love them, not because you want to score a brownie point that you've shared your faith. We always must be Christ-like. And uh, when Jesus came uh, to this earth, it was the religious people that had a problem with him. The sinners loved being around Jesus. So much so they called him a glutton and a drunken. So I want to encourage you today that when we're sharing our faith, there is four kinds of soil, but sometimes the way we communicate our message to people can actually um, not help us be effective with the message of the gospel. So let me talk to you about the, the last bit of soil. You know, the good soil is the soil that, hears the word, receives it, understands it, and then applies it to their life and walks out uh, and manifests what God has spoken to their lives. That's when we begin to see the fruit manifest in our life. Mark 4, verse 18 said, still others. Now, he's referring to the last two that we spoke about. Like the seed sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I think this is a real challenge for us in the West. That this is the, the one thing that, that, that can choke the word of God in our lives. There's two things, particularly in this, in this uh, passage, this verse that Jesus shares. He said, the first thing is the worries of this life. I don't know about you, but I don't think that I've gone through a week without worrying about something. Anybody else in the house would agree with me? But Jesus says, do not worry. So I'm thinking, Lord, you know, but it's very difficult not to worry, isn't it? But, but, But Jesus says, do not worry. But it says, the worries of this life has the ability to choke the life of God in and through you. For several years, a woman had been having trouble getting to sleep at night because she feared burglars. One night, her husband heard a noise in the house So he went downstairs to investigate. When he got there, he did find a burglar. He said, good evening. He said, I am pleased to see you. Come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting for you for 10 years. (laughs) I wonder if you've come to church today, you're online today, and you've carried a worry for so long, but it's not happened yet. And that's the thing. Um, C. Swindle says, we pull tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine because if you are handling a worry today that's not even happened and you're anticipating that this could happen in your life you're being robbed of your present right now and Jesus sort of says that we you've got to begin to hand that to me to live the best day now because let me just say this to you you are not guaranteed tomorrow You only have right now. You're not guaranteed one hour from now. You're guaranteed right now. And so he said, well, why would you even add a single hour to your life while you are worrying about something that may not even happen? J. Arthur Rank, an English executive, decided to do all his worrying on one day each week. He chose Wednesdays. When anything happened that gave him anxiety and annoyed his ulcer, he would write it down and put it in his worry box and forget about it until next Wednesday. The interesting thing that on the following Wednesday when he went to open his worry box, he found that most of his things that disturbed him the past six days were already settled. It would have been useless to have worried about them. You see, the thing for us is that we worry about 90% of the things that actually may not even happen to us. And there has to be a transition in our lives as the children of God where we begin to trust God so much that even though we have got real concerns and real issues that we face, that we trust him so much that he can take care of us through the situations of life. See, it's a matter of trust, our relationship with God. And we talk about, we sing the songs about how God, good God is and how big God is. But when worry hits your life, it's, it's important that we begin to lean in to who God is. Number one, God is our provider. If you're worried about finances right now, and obviously on the news and all the, the bills are going up and the petrol prices are going up and, uh, you know, and inflation and all the kind of interest rates, and that is enough to actually put us on the back foot when you look at probably your income or your, what is coming that you have to pay out, and all of a sudden worry can hit you. And so what we then begin to think about straight away is that we've got to work harder and spend less. But the thing is, what we do need to do is pause and we need to get back into God's word and understand that. Number one, I am now a child of God and my heavenly father said that he will provide for me as long as I abide in his word. That's the promise of God. Therefore, I tell you, Matthew 6, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So you have to leave here today. If you're worried about your financial situation coming down the road, you have to understand that the God that you gave your life to is well able to provide for you. That we are walking with him, that we are wanting to work, that we're wanting to do what we can and steward our income and manage our budget in. But yet, at the bottom line, God is our provider. If you look to history and you look at the Israelites who wandered the, the desert for 40 years... 40 years, not one day did they go without provision from God. Manor, quail, fire at night for guidance, clouds, water from rocks. God was able to provide in a wilderness. And so when we look around at what we lean into for our security, sometimes those things will fall away, but as long as Jesus is still alive, God will provide for you. Amen? And so, when that is rooted in your heart, that's not to say that we're reckless with our spending, that, that we just, you know, we're careless. No, it's just to know that whatever happens in our world, that, that, that God is not short of provision for you and me. The Bible says that He has never seen the righteous begging for bread. And I, I want to tell you that God is our provider. He always is and always will be. And the biggest provision that he's made for us, as Lee has already shared, is that the sacrifice of his son on a cross. And so Paul would say, if, if, if God would give you him for the biggest provision that we need in our life, how much more will he not give all things? So number one, God is our provider. Jesus in the, in the prayer, on, on the Lord's prayer, even said, give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus was praying it. And Paul says that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches not your riches according to his riches in Christ Jesus so number one how do we manage worry even though we worry number one is number one God is our heavenly father and he will provide for us and take care of us number two that you're valuable if you don't know these two things and you'll be moved by everything that comes in your life number one God is my heavenly father that loves me and provides me. Number two, that I am valuable to him. That's why in Matthew 6, 26, it says this, are you not much more valuable than they? He's speaking about the birds that are provided for every day of their life. He said, are you not much more valuable than they? So why are you worrying about your life? And so I want to say to you today that you are valuable to God. The cross speaks that to us volumes, that his blood was shed and has done a single There's nothing else in the universe that can cleanse us from our sin but the blood of Jesus. But that blood speaks of our value. That's how much God, through his son Jesus, is willing to come to this earth because we were valuable. If we weren't valuable, why would God give his only son for us? And so we, we, we must be valuable to God for him to give up his one and only son. And so when you you allow that to hit your heart and your life, it gives you a little bit more security. That number one, that God is my heavenly father and he's able to provide. And number two, that for me as a child of God, that I've come into his kingdom by his grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't ask for it. We've been adopted as Ephesians tells us. We've been redeemed, forgiven, raised up and seated at the right hand of the father. We are now co-heirs with Christ. And that was all because of what he did for us. We did nothing for him to get it. And because of that, because of our value, it should give us security in our lives when worry hits our lives, that God actually knows what you need before it comes. He knows what's coming down the road. But I want to tell you that you are valuable. If you don't hear nothing else today, you need to listen to two things. Number one, that God is your provider. And number two, that you're valuable to him. If you allow that, to, if you will make room for that in your heart, If you will make room and make that priority and begin to speak that over yourself, because sometimes we do, because we sometimes don't believe it because of our failures, because we don't live up to certain standards, we can say, how can we be valuable? But let me tell you something, you're valuable despite your actions today. Even though we shouldn't make excuses for living ungodly lives, God still loves you unconditionally. And yet, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. So he didn't wait for you to reach a certain standard before he laid his life down for you because you could never reach a standard that would earn God's favour and so what we need to know is that don't, do not worry the, the worries of this life will choke the life of God of you and paralyze you in wanting to do God's will for your life and so we have to take stock and understand that number one God's my heavenly father he has provision above provision let me tell you something that, that what God orders God pays for come on Listen, if those guys last night in the restaurant realized they sat down and between the four of them couldn't pay for it, they'd be really worried. But they knew amongst the four of them, they they looked for what they ordered, they knew they could pay for it. Amen? Whether it was with a calculator or it was just split four ways, they actually knew between them they could pay for it. And so what I want you to know today, that whatever God orders over your life, he will pay for it. And so, whatever God calls us to do in this church, let me tell you something. You know, we don't have to get up here every week trying to twist your arm to give financially or to serve. What God orders, God will pay for it. Because it's His vision, it's His kingdom that we're seeking, it's not our own agenda. Let me just help some of you today. If you have your own agenda, you've got to keep it going. If you have your own agenda, you've got to pay for it. And so, I don't want that stress, I don't want that worry. Of coming up with visions and values and thinking, Lord, this has got to be you because without you, we can do nothing. But with you, we can do all things. And so you need to know in the midst of worry right now in your lives, God is your provider and you are valuable. Which takes me to the second point, which will kill the life of God in you. And this is a big one for us. It's the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire of other things. This is really important to your walk with God. The deceitfulness of wealth. I want to start off by saying to you today that if you've got money, you're not a bad person. If if you are a really good business person and you're making money, don't feel guilty about that. Because, you know, it's not wrong to have money, but you must make sure that wealth and money has the potential to rob the life of God out of you. So you have to be able to be the master of wealth and money, not the slave. And that's what the Bible talks about, because without money, the kingdom could not be established. So we want you to be entrepreneurs. We want you to make great businesses, but we want you to make sure that God's number one in that, that your motivation is that Out of your wealth, you can help the kingdom advance because of priority. And that's what most of the scriptures talks about is that the temptation and the deceitfulness of wealth can rob you and stifle you of actually being fruitful in the kingdom. And so that's what I want to address today because we have to be aware that the devil knows that too. And so that's why he even took Jesus to a very high place In Matthew 4, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. See, when we talk about the deceitfulness of wealth, it has the ability for me and you to worship it, to become our master to become that we give everything in our life, whatever it takes to pursue it. But yet God is a jealous God and he doesn't want any idolatry before him. He has to be worship number one in our lives. And so Satan knew that he even knew that if he could take the son of God and showed him all his splendor, it has to have been a temptation for Christ in his humanity. But what did Jesus do? He actually referred Satan back to the Word of God. It is written. And that's what we must do. We must make sure the Word of God dwells in us richly. And no matter how rich God makes us, we are not going to get sidelined and becoming a worshipper of wealth or materialism. And yet God is centre of our lives. And so... Peter Wybrow of the Institute of Neuroscience and Human Behaviour. That's a big title, isn't it? He contends that we are hardwired to seek rewards of money and possessions. He said, so much so, that releases dopamine in, in us. It's like a chemical release with coffee and other substances. And so what he's saying is, it has the ability, If we have the ability to generate wealth, but it can become addictive. Wow, isn't that interesting? Yet, with any addiction, he says there is a price to be paid. This cost is illustrated in frayed relationships, families, and friends sacrifice to the wheel of work and consumption. And so sometimes we'll go through life and say, I'm only providing for my family. But the thing is, the deceitfulness of that is, that is, when is enough? When is the balance of enough where you're sacrificing your family and your health and your whole life on the altar for money? When, when is it, when, when are you strong enough to draw the line to that pull where, where you, you are justifying your own life because that you're looking after somebody, but at the same time, you're absent now that's fine for a period of time because there's an agreement that I might have to do this for three months or six months or 12 months, but after that, it will set us up where we can have more time in our relationship. See, when is enough where, well, what draws you away where your relationship with God goes? Where a promotion is offered you at the expense of your walk with God? Where a promotion will mean that you spend less time with your spouse? And less time in the things of God, reading your word or praying or attendance or serving God. If that is in the trade-off, I would say to you, don't take it. Because that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where your worship takes place in your life. And Jesus said, you you can't have both. You can't can't serve God and money. One is going to be worshipped at the end of the day. And that's what this is about. This is not about you being uh, um, an entrepreneur. It's not about you having wealth. It's about how you handle it and what your investment is. And is it going beyond you to expand God's kingdom? He says this, he says, Money prods people to be productive, but it does so at the expense of relationships. A number of studies show how focusing on money makes people self-sufficient, but it extracts at a price. What's it costing you to go after your dream or to pursue that ladder of wealth, even though we want you to be wealthy in a healthy sense? Graham Scrooge, I think he is a theologian, says Jesus wasn't a fundraiser He dealt with money matters because money matters. For some of us, though, it matters too much. See, Matthew 6 says, For where your treasure is, there will be your what? And what is your soil? It's your heart. Money and wealth has the power to deceive you. It's the power to zap the life of God out of your life. For where your treasure is, there you are. What does that mean, where your your heart is? What is important to you, that's where most of your life will be going towards, at the expense of everything else. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So how, how can we find out where our heart is? Where is our treasure? Where we're supposed to be storing up treasure in heaven uh, as well as accumulating stuff on earth. The stuff on earth must be putting some investment up there. Somehow, how can that happen? Because it's not just about possessions and wealth and having a happy life. Now, it's the investment in advancing the kingdom of God which is so important for us. Godfrey Davis, said, who wrote a biography about a duke, said, I found an old account ledger that showed how the duke spent his money. It was a far better clue to what he, he thought was really important than reading of his letters and speeches. See, the thing is, the truth of the matter is, if you go home and look at your spending apart from your bills, and we've got to pay the bills, we've got to eat, and we've got to do all that. But when we look at how we manage our money, we will know what's important to us. Say amen. I'm I'm not trying to get you in a corner so you will give today. I'm trying to help you manage your heart. When it comes that if God wants to put, if God wants to make you very wealthy, can he trust you with it? Can he give you enough that it won't end up deceiving you and falling away from the most important religions in your life? And that's what the question is. Can I be trusted? Because if I can't handle worldly wealth, how can you be trusted with true riches? And the thing is, it's really important that we get this because no matter how... How much you can be tested with in your life is how much God can put into your hands for his kingdom. Now, just because you are wealthy doesn't mean really to say you've been trusted. No, it's how you handle that for his kingdom. And that only can be measured on the day we stand before God and everything will be tested by fire. And what is invested for the kingdom will still stand. What is invested for our own agenda will be burnt away. But it's our investment for the future. So there are two two ways in which a Christian may view his money. How much of my money shall I use for God? Or how much of God's money shall I use for myself? See, it all depends how you view your possessions in your own life. If you you view your possessions and your money as yours, then you're going to struggle in this area. But if you view of your possessions and your money as that you are a steward because it all belongs to God, you have a great chance of managing success. And so it's important to know that God has allowed you to be a steward of everything in your life. The car you drive, the house you live in, the money you own, the life that you have. God has allowed you to have breath and the ability in the brains and the work ethic and your personality and character to get that stuff. And God has entrusted you as a steward to manage his possessions well, to take care of your family, to make sure your family members are cared for if you can, and beyond that, the body of Christ, the people of God, brothers and sisters, and the poor. God has given us finances and into our hands to steward. But I I wonder if if our stewardship only goes to ourselves and not through us to anybody else or to expand God's kingdom. And so it's really important that Jesus is saying that I don't want your pursuit of wealth to rob you of your love for me. It's a relationship thing. It's not a works thing, it's, not a, it's, a, it's a relationship thing. Jesus knows that as so much power, it'll rob you of your love for him to be number one. There can be divided loyalties of heart towards money and God. It's called the divided heart. It's says, like a heart of the girl to which a young man once proposed. He said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. I want you to marry me. I am not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown. But I do love you with all of my heart. She thought for a minute and then replied, I love you with all of my heart too. But tell me more about Johnny Brown. (laughs) See, 1 Timothy 6 says, those who want to get rich. See, it says not those who are already rich. Those that want to. That's your priority every day of your life is that God's not even the picture, but your, your focus and your energy and your life is all you want to pursue is wealth and riches. But for those who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, the power of mammon, materialism, money, has the power to deceive you, to, to end you a sirel from the things of God in your life and your passion for him. So it's a love of money. Not having money is an issue. That you must make sure that you are the master of your money. Nowhere did Jesus magnify poverty or criticise uh, the legitimate of getting wealth. So it's not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong that things possess you. And so how can we manage? How can we be in a position where, God, you can trust me with whatever finance and wealth but I will make sure that will not contaminate my heart where I'm not going to be fruitful for you. I remember one great minister who, that he would raise funds for an amazing ministry in the US and he would have millions, millions of donated to him. He'd have millionaires going up to him after he, he, he talked about his mission and they would, he would place millions of pounds into his account for his ministry. And I remember him standing up in front of the Elam ministers one day and he said, you know what? He said, I can stand here today and tell you the success of my ministry financially. He said, every penny that's gone into my hands for the work of God has never stuck. It's always gone to the work of God. And there is a temptation in our walk with God, that money can stick so much, it will affect our walk with Him and also other relationships in our life. See, our value should not come from our valuables. Should I say that again. Our value should not come from our valuables, but unfortunately, we're in a world where people important only because of what they own and how much money they've got. And that's where they get the value. But we're valuable to God if we're broke. Amen? Amen. So I'm urging you as the people of God, if you know the Lord today, by all means, earn loads of money. Praise God for that. Bless other people. Be kind to people. Be generous to people. Extend God's kingdom. But don't allow that to rob you and choke you of the life of God that he has for you. And, And also to abandon your relationships Number one, Jesus, and number two, those closest to you. Don't allow that to rob you because of wealth in your life. Our worth is not determined by our wealth. We are the people of God, and we should no longer be driven by the things of this world. So three quick things that's going to help us as I've got six, seven minutes, which is enough to finish this message today. Number one, how are we going to manage Number one, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Can I say to you, I hope, hopefully as a follower of Jesus, that you're not seeking everything else and just adding God to that at the end of it. I'll just add God today. I'll I'll, I'll make room for him for one Sunday morning. And then once church is over, I'm back to normality and God's not even in the picture. No, seek first the kingdom and the promises and all these things, he's talking about riches and provision, will be added to you as well. Seek first the kingdom. In the words, so when you when you've got a business plan, when you're thinking about how you can make it in the business world, have you do you even give room to think, well, how can I bless God's kingdom? When God makes this, when he blesses this business plan, what plans have I got to fund the kingdom? Has God got any room in that plan? Or if you're you're working with people that's not Christians and you're in partners, when you say, when I get my slice of that, I'm gonna make sure God's first in that. I'm gonna make sure that God God gets what he, he asked for and I'm gonna be a generous person and bless God's kingdom. I'm not only gonna bless my kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you here is what I lay down, we've sang this, you are all I'm chasing right now, this is my surrender. And I want to challenge you and encourage you and I I pray that God will prosper you so much that we will never be short in this church of the kingdom being expanded, not only when you leave it, you'll bless your neighbours and your family because of God's overflow and your generosity flowing in your life. Number two, number one is seek first the kingdom. Number two, be a giver and be a good steward. Be a giver. 2 Corinthians 8 says, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. How do you put God first in your finances? Proverbs 3 says, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. I know that some of us in this room don't want to hear this next verse. And I actually struggle to bring it to you today because I know some, some people will use this passage to give Christians a guilt trip, to force them into giving to God, but that's not my motive today. If you're going to put God first in your finances, then you have to give him the first of your first fruits. That's how do you know you're putting him first. But unfortunately, in some cases, we put God last. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says the Lord Almighty. I don't want to read the blessing bit because I don't want to use that as a reason why we should give to God. We should give to God because he's Lord and he's first. And if you read that passage in Malachi, God is very strong with his people. And I really don't want to be that strong today, but I just want to say what God said to his people. He said, why? He said, will a man or a woman rob me? Yet you rob me. Bring the whole tithe back into the storehouse. Where there'll be room, make room. What a song, Donna. We've sung. let's make room. He said, where there'll be room in my house. There'll be so much blessing that I'll make room for you that will open the floodgates of heaven to pour out into your life. But you have to trust me, says the Lord. And I wonder if you have been on your journey with God and you have started off as a tither. And if you don't know what that means, you learn to go into that. We don't want you to be condemned if you're new here. But we come to a place where we bring what belongs to God. It's not mine the tithe, the 10% of your income is not yours, it's God's. And that's why he says you rob me because how can you rob God if it's not his money? So he said, I want you to bring the tithe back into the storehouse so, that, so God can bless his kingdom. Bring the whole tithe, your first fruit, into the house which shows me where your heart is. Because fear and worry robs what belongs to God. And to seek first the kingdom, we have to make sure that we bring our first fruit into the kingdom. Because let me tell you what tithe deals with. It deals with my heart. It releases me from the power of mammon. And it says to money and provision, you are not my master, but God is. God is. And what we need to understand as I come to a close today is that we're only returning what belongs to God. It's not not ours anyway, it's his. So we're not really, really giving out of our 90%. He's allowed us to have 90% and he says, bring what belongs to me back into the house and then I want you to steward what you've got left. So bring the whole tithe into my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not provide for you. See, someone said this, the command to tithe is a command to recognize God's ownership of everything that you have. And I've got one more point to finish in 30 seconds, but here's the thing. We use the widow's might to help people say, oh, it doesn't really matter about the amount what you give, it's fine. Let me tell you, it's not fine. Jesus talked about the widow's might not to talk how much little she gave, but what she had left. It was nothing to do with the amount that she gave. It's what she had left. She had nothing left. Compared to the religious people, they were giving loads of money, but they had loads left. Never touch their heart. Never touch their sacrifice. It's not about the amount. Well, why did God say bring that tithe back into the storehouse? To test not only us in God, but to test our hearts too. It showed who was first. And I know that one or two, you've got to make room today. I ain't preaching this because we need money right now. Not at all. I will never get on this platform and preach a message about giving because we need to pay the bills. I won't do that. The only reason I will get up here to preach about money is to make sure that you will grow in God and that you will be blessed and out of that you become a blessing and that he will be number one in your life. And finally, the last one, this is really important for some of you. You've got to learn to live in contentment. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know why? Because you can have tons of money and be the miserable person in this room. In fact, you, you think I, if I didn't work anymore right now, I wouldn't need another penny, but you're actually not happy. There's no contentment with what you've got because there's something that's unhealthy. Is stress and managing of the growth crippling you? See, that's where we have to draw a line and say, "There's enough is enough." If this promotion, if this extra growth, is causing me to have ulcers and up all night and less time with my family, what? It's not worth the trade-off. Unless you can manage it, don't go for it. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Learn to live with contentment. See, the Apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. I know what it's like to have little. I know what it's like to have plenty. But I've learned to manage contentment in all situations. Philip Parnham tells a story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazy beside his boat. "'Why aren't you out there fishing?' he asked. "'Because I've caught enough fish today,' said the fisherman. "'Why don't you catch more than you need?' the rich man asked. "'What would I do with them?' "'You could earn more money, come,' uh, come, the, uh, he replied, "'and buy a bigger, better boat "'so you could go deeper and catch more fish. "'You could purchase nylon nets, "'catch even more fish and make more money.' Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman asked, then what would I do? You could sit down and enjoy life. And then he replied, what do you think I'm doing now? As he looked out at the beautiful sun and the sea. Father, I pray that today that you would have spoken into our hearts today and that we will not allow... Lord, the deceitfulness of mammon and wealth to robbers of your blessing and of your fruitfulness. And I don't know whether the enemy has taken you to a high place and showed you all the riches and splendor of the world and tempted you to leave your relationships and your walk with God, I want to say to you, you still have time to retreat and come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been hoodwinked. My heart and my passion is being choked because of my pursuit of materialism and wealth. I am going to return to the Lord today. And I'm going to make room for God in my life to honour God in his word. If you're in this room today and you need, to, you need to return and return the tithe to the Lord, then you need to do that today if God's speaking to you by his word and spirit. Let's stand together. Holy Spirit, I pray for every person in this room and online that, Father God, that worry... And the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things will not choke the word in our lives. I pray the word has exposed the enemy today over us and that today we will resist him and stand firm in the faith. Father, I pray for every person in this room that you'll prosper them. And Father, they will seek first your kingdom. Yeah. Lord, and everything in this place, Lord, I pray for those that may be worried about their provision, that you are their provider and you, Lord, love them so much because they are valuable. God bless you today.